Hey everyone, you are listening to the Covenant Grace Church podcast. We are a gospel-centered community on mission with Jesus in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Enjoy the message. If you've got your Bible, you can take it out to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're finishing chapter 10 today. In fact, chapter 10 flows over into the first, half, uh, first verse of chapter 11. Now, let me just lay a little bit of the landscape of where we're at. At the end of chapter 10, what Paul does is he circles back on some of the issues regarding Christian freedom. He's been talking quite a lot about how free are we as Christians? Are we completely free? We can do as we please? Well, that was some of the thinking in the Corinthians which got them into trouble. Freedom has limits, Paul wants to tell us. Amen? Let me just say that again. True freedom has limits. That's not what the culture wants to tell us, right? The culture wants to tell you that, that freedom is no limits, unrestricted freedom. But that's not really freedom as we've seen as we've been going through the book. So he comes back to this issue of Christian freedom. And the example, at least in this ancient Corinthian context, is regarding food that's been sacrificed to idols in the temples. And so he wants to address one more key issue. And I think that this is a very relevant issue. Not that we're worried about eating food sacrificed to idols, but actually there's an underlying principle here. And the principle is this. Listen carefully. The principle is what we call syncretism. Now, if that's a new word to you, let me explain it. It's very simple. Syncretism is the danger of blending or merging different religious principles and practices. So what Paul wants to say to the Corinthians here is that although you are free to eat meat sacrificed to idols, because his conclusion in chapter 8 was, hey, the idols don't exist. They're they're nothing. They're just lumps of wood and, and stone. These idols are nothing. So although you are free to eat meat that's been sacrificed to an idol, he says you can eat it freely in your home, you can eat it freely in the marketplace. However, he says, if you go to a temple and you participate in that meal, he says that's syncretism. Christianity does not mix with other religious practices. And and I think that's a real danger. I was watching a YouTube clip this week and, 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 and this this, this lady that was being interviewed was so excited and, and full of joy because she feels like she's completely enlightened in the fact that she can take what she likes from Christianity, she can take what she likes from Islam, she can take what she likes from Buddhism, she can take what she likes from all these other religious movements and practices, and she's blended them together. How convenient she can live as she pleases. And this is a danger in our world today, that we can pick and choose and we can create a version of Christianity that really just suits our own fleshly impulses. And Paul says, no, no, you've got to be careful. Although we as Christians in Christ have this incredible liberty, our liberty has restrictions. And so let's read the text because he has his argument against syncretism. From verse 14, he says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. 
So that, that could be a little confusing because, Paul, you've just said that these idols are, are nothing. They don't exist. But however, there is an idolatry, there's a worship aspect that's being connected to this idol. So let's, let's go on. He says, I speak as to sensible people. In other words, he's saying, listen, just follow the logic of what's going down here. He says, judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless. Now, he's referring to communion. This was a practice uh, known as Passover and the Old Covenant, and Jesus instituted it as the Lord's Supper. The cup of blessing that we as Christians bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, in other words, the meal, this, this worship meal that we break, is it not participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. He's not contradicting himself. Here's what he says. No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. So here he clarifies. He says, hang on. In these pagan assemblies, in these pagan worship practices, in, in other religions, and, and this is a sweeping state, statement. I'm about to put out a sweeping statement, and I can get into trouble for it. But every other religion that has a so-called God, Paul says they're simply demons. They're demons. There are no other gods. There is only one God, the God of the Bible, the God of Christianity. The God of Christianity. All other so-called gods are demons. Let me read that again. No, verse 20, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot mix Christianity with Islam. You cannot mix Christianity with Judaism. You cannot mix Christianity with Buddhism. You cannot, he goes on, partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And so his argument is, you think you're free, but your freedom is getting you into trouble. See, these, these Corinthian Christians were so much a part of the Corinthian culture. Now that they've accepted Christ, they were like, hey, we can go back into the Corinthian culture. And we can participate with the Corinthians at their pagan temples. And Paul says, no, no, you're free to eat the meat in the market. You're free to eat the meat at your home, but not in pagan temples. Because that is an act of worship, and you don't participate in their acts of worship. Just like we as Christians participate in the meal of the Lord's Supper, Paul's argument is we are partnering in the meal. It's an act of worship. There is actually a giving and there's a receiving in the meal. And he says we don't mix Christianity with pagan religions because it's an act of worship. So that's the first thing. He cycles back onto his argument from chapter 8. But then he wants to develop this idea a little further, and he takes aim at two groups in the church. He takes aim at the liberals and at the legalists. 
And so as we work through the rest of the text, he, 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 he uses four case studies, and he talks about liberals and legalists and legalists and liberals. Let me just explain quickly liberals. We've got to be careful here because the word liberal used to be actually quite a positive term. It was a positive term in terms of being free from domineering culture or tyranny or, or, or overarching government uh, sticking their noses into businesses where it shouldn't be. And we, there was a liberal movement that was a good and positive thing. Even a liberal movement in, in, a, in the sense of uh, freedom of race and freedom of religion. But that's not how we're defining it here. What we're defining liberalism as is a more modern term that we could almost associate with leftist ideology. And so liberalism, as we are defining it, is a group of people that have an underactive conscience. An underactive conscience. In other words, in the church, they're very excited about freedom in Christ. And there is a real sense in which we are free in Christ. And Paul's message of grace would have resonated deeply with these people. You know, if, if grace abounds, then we're free. However... They were taking grace to points and places where it should never go. And so the liberals were in danger of distorting grace or the gospel into immoral directions. In other words, we're so free in Christ, we can live and please with our bodies however we like. And so they were participating in temple prostitution. They were participating in all forms of sexual immorality. And Paul wants to say to the liberals, your freedom is not really true freedom. So that's the first group. The second group is at the opposite end, and they are the legalists. I think we know more, more about these guys. They've got an overactive conscience. So one group's got an underactive conscience. It's just free for everything. The other one has an overactive conscience. In other words, they like to make up rules that aren't even in the Bible. And church history is littered with these guys too. These are believers who are passionate with right living. Passionate about right living, so much so that they come up with new rules and new extra-biblical arguments that place restrictions on Christians, and then when you don't live up to it, they judge you because you can't meet their exacting standards. So let's have a look at it. He addresses them. He goes, liberals, legalists, legalists, liberals. Here we go, verse 23. Here's the liberal argument. To the liberals, he says, he quotes them. Notice the, the quotation marks. All things are lawful. In other words, nothing's off sides for the liberal. But then Paul says, but not all things are helpful. And he quotes them again. All things are lawful, according to the Corinthian liberal. But he says, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? Now, 
What we don't see in the original language is that there are four case studies that he presents here. So let me just walk us through these. The first one is to the liberals. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. The argument's pretty simple. This was a slogan that the Corinthian Christians were using to justify anything. They were leveraging Paul's theology. We've spoken about this in chapter 8. They were taking Paul's good theology of grace and pushing it to where it shouldn't go. People do it today too, don't they? We abuse grace. We cheapen grace. And they were saying, we're free in Christ. We're not under the law. We're under grace. And you know what? Those are true statements. They are true. We are not under the law. We are under grace. But what does true grace do? It doesn't lead to licentiousness. It doesn't lead to sinful indulgence. You see, if you take the message of grace in isolation, it can lead to some kind of unconstrained moral liberty that Paul never intended it to. So what Paul wants to say to these liberals is, there is a sense in which you are perfectly right. All things are lawful. But don't misunderstand the conclusion. Not everything is helpful. Not everything is helpful. Not everything honors God. Not everything builds up. Not everything is edifying. In other words, there are godly limits to your freedom. And then Paul corrects the flaw in their thinking in verse 24. He then says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And so to the liberals, they were boasting in their freedom. They were boasting in their freedom. But here he points out, he says, you know what? When you boast in your freedom, this kind of unhinged freedom, He says, actually, all you're thinking about is yourself. And I think that's so true for the liberals today, for this kind of unhinged sexual ethic that we see in the world today, that you can do as you please, be as you please, you can express yourself however you like, you think you're free, but actually you're just thinking about yourself. It's actually all just so self-centered, The so-called disguised message of freedom, it's actually got nothing to do with anyone else. It's actually got everything to do with you. This idea of absolute freedom, it actually just centers all on you. You're not thinking about anyone else, actually, but you. And Paul's point is true Christian love, true Christian freedom constrains liberty for the sake of others. Let me say that again. True Christian freedom, true Christian love limits freedom for the sake of the neighbor, for the sake of others. Just like Christ. We'll get to that. So then he turns to the legalists. So first the liberals, then the legalists. He goes on. Look what he says to the legalists. These are the guys with an overactive conscience. He says to them, verse 25, he says, hey, eat. Don't put rules where there shouldn't be rules. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. He has his argument, for the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Actually, it's all God's, God's gracious blessing to you. But then he says, if one of the believers, uh, sorry, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, he says to the legalist, eat whatever is said before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. This would have riled up the legalists. The legalists would argue that no Christian can ever touch meat that was sacrificed to an idol. 
And so Paul's message to them is, no, no, you don't realize that actually this meat is just meat. And they would say, no, that's compromise. It's compromise with the world. Don't eat it. Don't touch. We could apply it to other things. Don't dance. Don't drink. Don't play cards. Don't listen to contemporary music. And the list goes on, doesn't it? The legalists in the church. And Paul says directly to them, hey, when you're in the market, when you're in your home, and a friend invites you over for dinner, he says, and they put it before you, he says, don't ask any questions about where the meat came from. Don't worry if it was dedicated in a pagan temple. You're not in the temple now. This isn't an act of worship. This is just simply at an unbeliever's home. He says, hey, the gods don't even exist. Eat. The earth is the Lord's, he says. The legalists would have been squirming, right? And Paul's insisting here on gospel liberty. He's insisting on gospel freedom. And so while they're squirming, he then turns back to the liberals. Look at this. He goes on in verse 28. So he kind of leaves the legalists hanging and maybe a little frustrated. In verse 28, he goes on, but he says, but if someone says to you, so now he creates another scenario. So we've got the one scenario, now he creates another scenario. He says, but if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. Now that sounds like an absolute contradiction, right? And when I first read it, I was all over the map. I was like, what is going on here? Paul, have you lost your mind? But follow carefully. I think what he's doing here is actually incredibly smart. He says to them, hey, I know you liberals, you're so free that, that you just, you're just able to do anything you like. So he warns us early of syncretism because they know. They, they know that these idols are just lumps of wood and stone. But then he creates a scenario. And here's the scenario. He says, someone, if someone at dinner, you sit down at dinner and someone says to you, I know that this food was used in pagan worship. It's been dedicated in an act of pagan worship. He says, now what do you do? He says, technically you're free to eat. But he says, because of that person's knowledge, because they think it's been sacrificed to a true other God, apparently, he says, Rather, don't eat it for the sake of their conscience. In other words, what he's saying is, I know that we all know these gods don't exist, but the non-Christian you're eating with doesn't know that. Does that make sense? And because the non-Christian you're eating with doesn't have the theology that you have, I know that you're free in your theology because the gospel sets us free. We're not under law, we're under grace. But that person you're eating with doesn't know that. So honor their conscience and just abstain. Just don't participate. In other words, that person might see your participation as you are just so fluffy in your theology. You're just so fluffy. When it comes to Jesus, you're happy to go with the flow. And he says, no, no, don't give him that impression. Don't give the impression that you are willing to trample Christ underfoot just for some roast pork or whatever it might be. 
And then he goes on, and, it, and, and in the end here, he wraps it up, and he wants to give an issue, uh, a warning to both groups. And I think this, again, is very applicable to our culture today, verse 29b and verse 30. And then he says, For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? And the warning here is a warning of the tyranny, follow me carefully, the warning of tyranny of the weaker brother. So let me explain this. He says, beware of those who claim that because they take offense at your conviction or your practice, I'm offended by what you believe, therefore you must surrender your conviction. Did you follow? He says, why must I be denounced if your conscience is weak in this area? Why must I submit my conviction to your conviction? Does that sound familiar? It's incredibly, this is, this is the message, this is the gospel of our age. The gospel of our age is, if you love me, then you will surrender your convictions to my lifestyle choices, and you will affirm my liberty to do so. And if you don't affirm my liberty, and if you don't surrender your convictions to my convictions, then that's hateful. It's incredibly relevant, I think. No, no. Actually, what the, what the gospel says is that actually I can lovingly disagree with you. And that's what Paul's saying. I don't. Why are you denouncing me just because I disagree with your position? It's not a hateful position I'm holding. Actually, I'm holding a true conviction under the same liberty that you're saying you have. Why do you get liberty and I don't get liberty? It doesn't mean I'm hateful. It just means I'm holding the gospel with a clear conscience. And I really want to encourage us as Christians. It's going to get harder and harder and harder out there. When it comes to the sexual ethics that we hold to biblically, when it comes to all these types of political agendas that are out there, I want to say to us, we are going to be denounced for that which we give thanks to God for. We give thanks to God for the design of marriage between one man and one woman. We give thanks to God for that. But what are we, what's going to happen to us? We are going to get denounced. And what do we do? Do we cave? Do we submit our conscience and our convictions to theirs? No, we don't. We honor the Lord. And so Paul says that that idea of liberalism that wants to impose itself on you, that's not liberty, that's tyranny. It's tyranny. And then he closes with three core principles, and I'm done. So he moves from case studies to core principles, and he closes in verse 31 through to 11 verse 1. And the first core principle in terms of all of these things we've been talking about is that the Christian is to prioritize God's glory. And if, we, if we're not approved by man, it's okay because we're living for the glory of God. So he goes, verse 31, so, in summary, so, whatever or whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 
So eating and drinking, some of the most basic, mundane aspects of everyday life. Do it for the glory of God. In other words, everyday decisions, everyday behavior. We need to be asking the question, is this glorifying to God? Am I glorifying God before the eyes of the watching world? You know, even with what I eat and what I drink, that those are basic things. But even the decisions, where I go, what I say, where I stay, whatever I do, is this bringing glory to God? Will this decision, will this action, will this behavior, will this way of speaking and acting bring glory to God? We must prioritize the glory of God. Secondly, we must prioritize good witness. He goes on in verse 32. He says, then give no offense to Jews or to Greeks, or to the church. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do. I think there's so much irony there. In the, in the first point, verse 31, he's like, I don't care about the approval of man, but now he's like, I do care about everyone. I want to please. He's a man pleaser. No, he's not. I'm just kidding. I want to please everyone in everything I do. Here's why. He says it. Not seeking my own advantage, but that of many. Here's why. That they may be saved. That they may be saved. Paul is passionate here about being a faithful witness. Yes, he doesn't want to be a a cruel Christian. Listen, in our faithfulness to God, let's not be cruel. In our faithfulness to God, let's not be legalists. In our faithfulness to God, let's not be liberals. No, in our faithfulness to God, we want to please people. We do want to be liked, hey? We don't want to be those Christians. Nobody likes them. No, no, we we want to be faithful, but we want to be a blessing. We don't want to be a burden. We don't want to be a bad witness. As Christians, we don't want to be known for everything we're against. I think that's such a poor witness. You know those guys? We know everything they're against. What are they for? We have no idea. We just know that what they don't like, you know? No, that's really just such a poor witness. We don't want to be the legalists. We don't want to be the liberals. We want to be faithful. We want to be good witnesses. And lastly, he says, I'm not seeking my own advantage, but that of the many, that they may be saved. Then he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Brings us back to the foundation. How are we going to be good witnesses? How are we going to bring glory to God? The only way to be, bring glory to God, the only way to be a good witness, is to point people to Christ. Can we say, with Paul, can we say, imitate me. Imitate me, mirror my life as I mirror the life of the Lord Jesus. And there's a, there's a, a fine line, isn't there? Because in some, some aspects, Jesus was the ultimate liberal, the releaser of those who were downtrodden. He brought incredible freedom. And on, other, on the other hand, he, he held a line, and, and some would have accused him of being a legalist because he held fast and he fulfilled the law. But at the end of the day, it's not about liberalism or about legalism. It's about Christ. So, so where do you fall on the spectrum? No, I want to be like Jesus. Well, is that liberal or legalist? No, I want to be like Jesus. Let's forget about the categories. Let's hold fast to Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. Let's imitate Jesus. Amen? I think this is the ultimate WWJD moment. You know that 
And I think in some ways, maybe that's not such the best way to describe it. What would Jesus do? Maybe it's better to say WDJD. What did Jesus do? Because otherwise we might be speculating. What would he do? And then we come up with our own version. Rather, let's go, what did he do? And what he did do was he laid down his life. He laid down his rights. He set aside his own glory to come and seek and save the lost. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us this morning. We thank you for its freeing power, Lord. We thank you for this glorious freedom that has godly limitations. We are not just free to to live as we please, but we are free to live for your glory, to, to live to please you, Lord. That's true freedom. And I pray that we, your church, would really grasp this, that we'd really live in the power of this freedom. That although I'm free to do this or do that, there are times where I limit my freedom because of love. Because I want to love my neighbor. Because I want to love those around me. Because I want to be like Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us in everything that we do. In every decision. Even in our eating and drinking. We want to do it to the glory of God. We want to do it solely Deo Gloria. To the glory of God alone. And so we pray that you would help us to become more and more like Christ. We pray that when people see us, when people hear us, they would catch a glimpse of Christ. Lord, we know that that's what the world needs. They don't need more religious people. They don't need more liberals. They don't need more legalists. They need to see Jesus. And so we pray that Christ would be seen in our lives. First and foremost, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.